Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. And we're back. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy January. Happy New Year to all of you. The first Inside the Gamecocks podcast of 2021 and certainly glad to be with you here today as we get the podcasts, uh, my podcasts, cranked back up uh, for what should be a better year than the last uh, here in 2021. Uh, certainly have missed talking about the Gamecocks for you guys. You've, you've caught me on the bigspur.com. It's been busy. Uh, I had a rescheduled vacation from last spring that I took last weekend. It was kind of just what the doctor ordered. Uh, got to go and uh, spend some time uh, with some people and uh, relax a little bit. Uh, and that's always good. I'm getting old, folks. You know, I can't go like I used to uh, when I was in my late 20s and early 30s uh, when I'd work on the Big Spur for like 12 hours straight. Still put in the hours, but uh, sometimes you need a break. And that happens, especially when it comes to the podcast and the daily grind of things like that. So certainly I'm happy uh, that all of you that reached out and said, Hey, where's the podcast are reaching out. Um, some of you were upset about it. I think that's a good thing, but back in the saddle also dropped a JC and Morgan college football podcast yesterday, reviewing the 2020 season. And that will come with more frequency as well uh, as we move forward. So lots of stuff has happened since the last time we spoke with Shane Beamer, the head football coach of South Carolina and the staff uh, lots of talk about the staff. Um, right before I left on vacation, Marcus Satterfield was hired as the offensive coordinator uh, after Mike Bobo left for Auburn. So we're going to start right there with that move. Now, you know, it, it's no secret. I, I've been defending Mike Bobo uh, here on the podcast and on the site. I thought he did a really good job calling plays last year. Uh, I think that the Ryan Holinsky situation uh, was, was on Ryan Holinsky. Uh, and I stand by all that. You know, I'm not one of these guys that's just going to, oh, well, he left South Carolina, so let's, uh, uh, you know, I was lying the whole time, and I'm going to just change my story. No, I, I stand by all that, and that doesn't, you know, no matter what happens with Holinsky, if he comes back, uh, whatever, um, you know, I I believe that uh, the whole situation was handled appropriately by the coaching staff, period. Bottom line, full stop, not coming off of that. Uh, and I'm talking about 2020, you know, not 2021 and moving forward. Uh, but uh, had it just been Mike Bobo, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, if he was the only one out there, you know, and, and it was a personal thing between he and Helensky, you know, I, I wouldn't be as staunch about it as I am. You know, I, I just don't take one person's word or advice for things and then dig in like that. It was sort of pretty much universal. So anyway, not going to get into Hel – because if Helensky comes back, uh, hopefully he finds new life, uh, you know, whether it's in South Carolina or somewhere else and does what he needs to do to make things happen. He does have a talented uh, a talented skill set, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Bobo left and went to Auburn. Uh, obviously, Shane Beamer was not happy about that. I do not blame him. Uh, I, I think that it's hard enough to put together uh, a staff right now and, and to, to, to kind of patch all the holes in the dam, so to speak, at South Carolina right now. 
uh, without having to worry about coaches going out and coming back and trying to get more money at the same time. I don't blame Mike Bobo either, because like, like all of us, you know, he has to do what's best for his family. And, and, and I don't know the numbers from Auburn yet, but let's say hypothetically, you know, this was thrown around. It was a three-year deal worth 2 million a year. Uh, he had a two-year deal at South Carolina worth two worth 1.2. 1. 1. Uh, you do the math on that. That's $6 million versus 2.4. That That's more than double your salary, you know, uh, to go into a place where, you know, there's probably not as much building uh, that you have to do, um, you know, as far as roster and, and things like that. Although I do think there is building that has to take place at Auburn. So when you, when you're talking about that situation, uh, I, I understand the, uh, the frustration on the part of Shane Beamer, but I also understand why Mike Bobo did what he did. Will friend of course is attached to Mike Bobo. Uh, and so he just followed him simply uh, and then your Tracy Rocker yesterday leaves and goes to Auburn. Uh, and we'll get to that here in a second when we talk about defensive line, defensive line coaches. Uh, and that's Tracy's alma mater. And so, you know, we'll see kind of, you know, how that plays out. I, I think with, with Rodney Garner down there, you have a chance to maybe not coach the whole D-line. Uh, he sorted toward the end of his career anyway. Um, maybe he thought that was a better, you know, a smoother landing uh, for his career than staying at South Carolina. Um, so, so we'll see about that. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Marcus Satterfield comes in very confident guy. Uh, I know that his statistics when he was the OC at temple, uh, were not good in terms of where he ranked total offense wise, all that. I will say temple got better every year wins and losses wise. The offense has to have something to do with that, even though the stats weren't good and the defense was really good under Matt rule. Uh, up at Temple. You know, he's been a head coach at Tennessee Tech uh, and was a pretty prolific offensive coordinator at the FCS level, you know, prior to going to Baylor and then coming with the Panthers last year uh, on Rule's staff as assistant offensive line coach. Matt Rule uh, really went to bat for him. And, of course, Marcus Satterfield has known Shane Beamer since they were graduate assistants together at Tennessee back in the early 2000s. So, so all of you that, you know, were critical of the hire, I get it. I, you know, I had to put something out on the message board uh, because the overwhelmingly, you know, I I guess there's, you know, seven to 10 people that were just trashing the hire uh, over and over again. And that gets to recruits, you know, that, 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 you know, people, uh, it's not that recruits troll the message board and look for every little thing, but opposing coaches and graduate assistants and people like that monitor that stuff and they print it out and they say, Hey, look, their own fans are rioting because of this, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I'm glad that those of you out there that, that kind of took that message to heart, I have taken it to heart. Uh, I, I think that anytime you hire somebody that's sort of an unknown or that didn't have overwhelming stats at a previous stop, they're going to be questions. Um, but I, I think, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you you, you always got to give somebody a chance before you jump in and start bashing them or start overly praising them, in my opinion. Uh, but, but looking at what Satterfield wants to do offensively, it's more in line with, I think, the Beamer plan, uh, you know, and – that's not to say that Mike Bobo wasn't because I, I was, I was very intrigued by that too. 
Uh, but but you have a guy in Satterfield that, that it, you know, unlike Bobo, who has his own system and you have to blend that system, which has been successful uh, with so, some new concepts or whatever, just sort of tweak it, dress it up. You know, Satterfield sort of has his system, which was very multiple when he was at Temple. And then you combine that with, you know, what he learned from Brady with the Panthers this year. So there's going to be some elements of, of what Joe Brady likes to run, which, you know, at the college level is pretty much wide open. You know, you getting five wide on first and 10, or, or they call it empty, empty on first and 10, and away you go. Uh, and then the things that Lincoln Riley ran at Oklahoma. And, and I think for Shane Beamer, you know, people get confused and think, well, he's a special teams guy, this, that, and the other. He's really at his heart an offensive guy. You know, he, he, his passion is on the offensive side of the ball. That's why he went to Oklahoma to learn all that he could about that side. And, and so this is this is a more of an opportunity, I think, you know, to install what he wants with a guy he's known for years that he's comfortable with. That's you know a, a a more of a multiple guy. You know, a guy that can go out and you know put everything on the table then trim it down. You know, this is you heard the same thing when Brian McClendon got promoted under Muschamp, but but here's the difference: Brian McClendon had never called a play, uh, and, and Brian McClendon part of play calling is not just what you install. You know, I thought McClendon in 2018 installed a lot of good stuff. Though there were a lot of good plays. You know, let you know he kept kind of the best that Roper was running, and then put some old, uh, some of his own wrinkles in there. The problem he had was adjustments and, and knowing what to call and when once the other team adjusted and, and, and figured out the RPOs and tried to shut it down. Or or even if they weren't pure RPOs for those purists out there, you know, whatever they were doing <laughs> that looked like an RPO uh, or that was just kind of a play action deal or whatever, you know, once they figured out how to stop that, you know, there, there was no counter. Um, and so this is a different situation with Satterfield because he's called plays uh, for years. So, so he has experience doing it and he's been successful doing it. You know, what to call and when uh, is very, very important. So, you know, Marcus Satterfield to me, uh, you know, just look, looking at kind of the concept for those of you out there that were, you know, worried that the eye formation was staying. And look, I, I think the eye formation in, at times can be very useful. Uh, for a football team because it screws with a defense because defenses aren't used to it. Um, but those of you that were, you know, and I did not share this opinion with you, but those of you that were worried about Bobo um, and his offense, you don't have to worry about that anymore because th this is going to be uh, – the offense is going in a different direction. Okay, I'll just put it that way. Um, a, a, a Probably a dramatically different direction than – what you've seen here the last couple of years. It's, it's, if it comes together, like they believe it will, I think those of you that love the, the air raid and the, you know, the, the fast pace, the big 12 style offenses, you know, you guys are going to be really, really happy uh, with what happens. And uh, heck, sometimes that, you know, you look at the game, the team next year, you know, Carolina's got offensive linemen coming back. They've got two good running backs, three probably with, if you count Rashad Amos, You've got guys that are kind of versatile guys. And one thing Satterfield said in his press conference that impressed me is like, we're going to move guys all over the field and get them the ball. Uh, and I think that's good. I think that's a positive thing because you got guys like Caleb McDowell, Jaheim Bell, 
Kevion Mullins. You know, what are those guys? Are those guys H-backs, tight ends? Uh, Caleb McDowell, is he a scat back? Do you have a scat back? Is, is he a what, – what one of my friends who runs an offense calls a pony, which is a running back wide receiver hybrid, like a like a daggum, you know, versatile type guy, which is probably how they should have used A.J. Turner in the past. Uh, if you want to be right honest, you know, is DeCarry Joyner that kind of guy? You know, the, the, there's a lot of guys that are on the roster right now that are that are sort of, you know, if you put them in the right position, they can make plays. Uh, but they're not necessarily guys, you know, that, that you line up and play strictly at receiver or strictly at running back or whatever uh, every single down. So uh, I sort of like the plan you know, the, the, that they have Marcus Satterfield, Shane Beamer uh, on offense. You know, uh, you look at the rest of the offensive staff, they still have to hire an offensive line coach. Um, Brent Key from Georgia Tech was a name that, that heated up the end of last week. Then we were told he's staying at Tech. Uh, now there's rumblings. Maybe he won't. Uh, maybe he'll reconsider. Uh, I think Travell Wharton, the former Gamecock, who's with the Redskins, uh, it, it would be a tremendous hire. I, I, you know, just something about that guy uh, and the way his career has progressed. Uh, you know, he brings a lot of credibility to the table. You guys all remember Travell Warden starting from day one. Wasn't a very highly touted recruit either out of Hillcrest and Simpsonville. He's kind of the first one. If, if you think about Hillcrest and Simpsonville, uh, Travell came and then Jamon Meredith, lo and behold, uh, another guy that was kind of under the radar. He he came in and played really, really well for the Gamecocks on the offensive line. Uh, so there's something to be said about the the Rams up there off 385. Go Rams. Go Golden Strip. <laughs> anyway, um, so I don't know who they're going to hire there. You know, I, I think Brent Key obviously is outstanding, speaks for himself. I think, you know, Travell Warden's very intriguing because he's a Gamecock and I sort of like how the staff's coming together now, and it's the Gamecock staff. You know, you look at it and you're like, you know, well, this guy ties to, has ties to South Carolina. This guy's got ties to the Carolinas. You know, this guy, you know, they're, they're not guys that have necessarily made their names elsewhere. You know, they're guys that want to be at the University of South Carolina, and and and, and it makes sense. You can kind of connect them. Um, you know, Satterfield, I believe – is from the state of North Carolina originally. I'm not looking at his bio uh, as the OC. Then, of course, you have Des Kitchings, who's from South Carolina, as running backs coach. And, boy, that guy's an outstanding recruiter um, and a good player. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was a good player for Furman. You got Justin Stepp, speaking of Furman, uh, and that's the next guy I'll mention here, right? You know, when he was – his press conference was very impressive. Um, and, look – you can have an impressive press conference and not be a very good coach, but it was impressive. You can kind of tell how, why he can recruit so well, why his players love him. And you look at his track record at SMU and at Arkansas, you know, he's a guy that could get more with less in terms of development, but also a guy that could go get in the heat of recruiting battles and win them. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I think, in recruiting, you know, he, he's a hard worker, what they call an alpha recruiter. Uh, and now that he's home and at South Carolina, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what kind of battles he can win. He and Kitchings both together uh, on that staff. I mean, that's a kind of a dynamic duo recruiting-wise. 
Uh, and then Eric Henry at tight ends, obviously he's a guy that brings a lot to the table uh, in terms of being a game cop, being around the program. Uh, I think recruiting wise, he's going to be really good. Um, so you look at the offensive staff and it, you know, every one of them really makes sense. Uh, and we'll see kind of how they go with, with offensive line, uh, which is an important hire, which should be coming. Uh, I would imagine by the end of this week, they'll have everything in place because school, you know, the deadline to get back, uh, enroll for the next semester is coming up. So I would imagine that's uh, going to take place here pretty soon. So offensively, you know, it, it's an exciting deal. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it is a bit of the unknown. I think that's a good thing. I think it gives people something to look forward to, something to maybe dream about a little bit. When you when you talk about all the different concepts, they're going to blend. Um and uh, I think that's uh, that's big. And I, and I think what Marcus Satterfield ran at Temple was not that bad. I mean, you know, you look, they were very, very multiple because they had to be. Uh, and I think that's good at South Carolina, too. You, you know, you don't – there's not going to be a lot of film on the Gamecocks for the first two or three games. So, that'll, that'll be a good thing there. You know, switching to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you know, you, you sort of look at it. And, yeah, Rocker's gone. Um, the defensive coordinator, Clayton White, uh, I think is a guy that I didn't mention here. I didn't mention on the big spur, uh, cause I quite frankly, didn't know that Beamer was, uh, pursuing him. Um, but I've all, I've always kind of thought, Hey, the guy the, I, I didn't even know is I called him the guy from Western Kentucky. <laughs> uh, it's hard to play defense at, at that level and, and at Western Kentucky in particular, cause that, that's a place where, you know, you, you've always sort of run a dynamic offense. You can go uh, – I think they still do run an air raid there. They had Petrino there. I think, you know, uh, Jeff Brom coached at Western Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, they've always sort of been really creative offensively. You know, they haven't really – defense, not – you know, hey, who knows. But they play really good defense at Western Kentucky. And, uh, like I said, the recruiting angle from – you know, Western, uh, you know, you don't exactly get all the guys that you, you want. So you move over to the defensive side of the ball. I mentioned Clayton White. You know, Mike Peterson staying on, you know, because of the mass exodus of must-champ coaches. You know, Peterson's kind of the veteran now. He's he's the – he was all five years of must-champ, and now Shane Beamer retains him. People were asking, is he going to stay, you know, I haven't heard anything about him moving on to anywhere. Um, I will say this, uh, you know, just kind of looking at his career and his trajectory that I wouldn't, I wouldn't so much worry about him bolting to like an Auburn or someplace like that. Um, the NFL though, I mean, he's a 14 year NFL vet has a lot of uh, great, I mean, a lot of let's let's put it this way: a lot of guys in the league have a lot of great things to say uh, about Mike Peterson, uh, and all those jobs are starting to churn. So, you know, I can't sit here today and guarantee you Mike Peterson staying, but I, I do think I don't think it'll be a situation where another college job, more money comes up. That, that's just my opinion, uh, but I, I think that uh, you know, as far as you know. I think it would be a jump to the next level, put it that way. Torrey and Gray 
comes in. Torian Gray is one of the best defensive backs coaches in the country. Uh, I think he got scapegoated at Florida this past year because their D-backs weren't good. But, uh, folks, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, if you're complaining about that, which I got a text from a friend that said, ah, that he's mad because they're hiring somebody that Florida fired. Well, you haven't – if you if you're saying that, you have not watched Todd Grantham's defense over the years. Uh, and, and them give up passing yardage in in droves, no matter how good they were on the back end, talent-wise. Uh, Torian Gray had 10 years at Virginia Tech. He's the epitome of doing more with less. He's a he's an unrivaled evaluator and developer of talent on the back end, and that's just what South Carolina needs. When you have guys back there that have potential like Cam Smith and Joey Hunter and, and uh, Donald Fortune and Dominic Hill – uh, and uh, Jalen Dickerson's still back there. You know, I mean, you got to get those guys ready along with Isaiah Morris coming in from the JUCO ranks and all that. So the staff to me, I, I think it's a staff that can be successful. I, I, I like the fact almost that you're, you're seeing some guys that, that just make sense for South Carolina. They're not necessarily guys that are, are, are big-time superstar ringers. Uh, they're not coming in with huge resumes or national championship rings. Uh, you know, they're coming in ready to work and, and to try to build uh, with Shane Beamer at South Carolina. And I think, you know, sometimes those coaching staffs that have been that way have been successful. Uh, you know, you, you look at, uh, I go back to Lou Holtz's first staff. Now Lou Holtz's first staff or second staff at South Carolina, first staff, second staff, you know, you did have some guys that were with him at Notre Dame. John Goodkunst was with him at Minnesota. Uh, Dave Roberts was with him at Notre Dame. Uh, Skip Holtz was with him at Notre Dame. You know, you had guys that were coordinators elsewhere, like Chris Koch on defense. You know, but Charlie Strong, this was his first coordinator gig, you know, coming in. Skip Holtz, uh, this was his first, you know, he was a head coach at Connecticut and then coming in as the coordinator at Carolina. Uh, you know, those guys were, were hungry to build something. Steve Spurrier's best staff, you know, Ellis Johnson had some SEC experience. Lorenzo Ward coached for a spell here or there um, at the highest level, uh, I think at Virginia Tech and elsewhere. Um, but, you know, Brad Loring was a South Carolina lifer. G.A. Mangus came from Middle Tennessee State. Jay Graham came from Tennessee Martin. G. Punter came from Georgia Tech. You know, these guys didn't come in with – the only one with championship rings were Steve Spurrier, and I think Junior was on the 96 staff as a graduate assistant at Florida. Um, and and so, you know, when you look – go go back to the Joe Morrison staff. You know, those, those guys were a bunch of cowboys. <laughs> uh, and they were with Morrison and stuff and, and all that. So, you know, sometimes if you look at the history of the program, it hasn't been about getting the big name assistants in. You know, you've had some some guys that have popped into Carolina with some resumes, uh, and usually they're there for a short time and you know, as an assistant, and it hadn't done well. You know, and uh, I kind of look around and you know see that. So, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, uh, for those of you that are naysayers, I, I do think it's fair to point out that. Spurrier's last staff was full of guys that, you know, didn't have a lot of resume coming in and didn't work out so well. Um, so this can work both ways on you. But I just think 
you know, and, and, and when Spurrier made his hires, you know, you look and you say, well, you, you hired Everett Sands over Des Kitchings, uh, and then Des Kitchings for the next five years proceeded to sign uh, every player in North Carolina that was good uh, for NC State. Uh, and those players that he signed at NC State, if he signed them at South Carolina, you know, the program doesn't dip to seven and three, seven wins and then three wins. It, it probably goes no lower than seven because there's enough talent there um, with Spurrier coaching and all that. So, you know, you can kind of tell some of the mistakes that were made um, at that point, promoting Lorenzo Ward. And then after Brad Lowing, who was calling them, you know, the front for whammy leaves and Lowing certainly was capable of doing that. You know, you, you bring in uh, Deke Adams who couldn't really do it all that well and, uh, and all that. So, uh, and I think we've seen as Deke Adams career has moved forward that maybe it's not, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to be said uh, there about that. Um, so, you know, you, you can kind of see those mistakes. I don't, I don't really look at this and see mistakes. Uh, I see possibilities. Um, now, does that mean every single hire is going to work out and it's great and this is the best staff in the history of Carolina football? You can't say that on paper. You know, you, you could probably say that on paper with Muschamp's first staff, to be honest, on paper. But as we all know, on paper does not always equal results. Uh, and, and, and so I'm, I'm looking at this saying this is a, this is a group that can get results. Um, and this is a group that's, you know, got a lot of passion, sure. Uh, they understand what they're trying to do, sure. They, they've got a desire to build South Carolina football, sure. But they're also good football minds. I mean, it's not like, you know, these guys are just sitting there going, hey, I'm going to be really passionate and clap my hands really loud and we hope we win because we don't really we don't really have a good game plans or anything like that. No, I, I, these guys know no ball if you look at their their background. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at the offensive staff alone. I know Mark Satterfield knows ball. I know Des Kitchings knows ball. No, Eric Kimry really knows ball. I know Justin Steppos knows ball. I mean, these guys, these guys know ball. Defensively, again, I cannot stress to you how hard it is if you're Clayton White to have a great defense at Western Kentucky. Uh, you know, we talked about Mike Peterson and with Tory and Gray. I cannot stress how hard it is uh, to piece together all American defensive backfields at Virginia Tech for 10 years and put a slew of guys in the NFL. It's difficult. And Torian Gray did a great job of it, and he's going to do a great job at South Carolina. So um, I just, uh, you know, looking at the staff, I think it's really, really, really good uh, in terms of potential and uh, in terms of a staff that makes sense, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, you can pick apart the resume, sure. You can have questions, sure, because, you, you know, it's not a sure thing. Uh, just like the Beamer hire, you know, you're like, well, there's no experience. There's no track record to point back to. But sometimes that's not a bad thing. Uh, sometimes that's not a bad thing. And, and, I, and I would encourage everybody to just wait and see the schemes. Um, I think you're going to be – those of you that want a wide-open offense, I think you're going to be tickled. And those of you that have been clamoring to go back to the 4-2-5 defense that Ellis Johnson ran with success – you're getting your wish there too. So uh, I think that's pretty good. All right. So recruiting, the Gamecocks have been very active in the portal lately. 
Um, and they still kind of are. Uh, and I want to say this about, you know, we hear this all the time and, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, the, the, these guys are coming from, you know, group of five or FCS. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, you know, and, and when you look in the portal on 24-7 sports, I wish they would redo it because they, they have it listed by star rating out of high school as if that matters because it, I'm telling you, it doesn't, uh, you know, you really should have it by, you know, production, uh, at the college level or something like that, or, you know, maybe re-rate the guys when they get to, the, to high school, to college, uh, or give them transfer ratings or something like that, because, uh, it's, it's misleading, you know, cause you look and you say, Oh, all these highly rated guys are available. Yeah. But are they good? in college, you know, that the star rating goes out the door when you walk in the door, all it is, is a measure of baseline potential. You know, that's all it is. And, and, and I, I know that it's fun to follow and you're like, ah, oh, he used to be a five-star all that, but uh, case in point, And I thought he played really well for Carolina and played hard and was a, was a big part of the team, obviously, you know, Tavy and Feaster versus Rico Dowdle versus uh, uh, Travis Etienne, you know. Rico Dowdle, high three-star. Travis Etienne, low four-star. Davian Feaster, five-star. How would you rank those guys? Well, I'd probably say Etienne one, Dowdle two, and uh, Feaster three, and that's nothing against Tavian Feaster. He was a good back, and heck, Carolina could have used him this year to go along with uh, Kevin Harris, but Look, man, I mean, the star rating's out the window, you know, uh, when you get to college. Uh, you know, you look at Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, two of the best quarterbacks in the country this year, you know. Trey Lance from North Dakota State, quarterback guy that's uh, they're talking about getting drafted high. And sure, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are awesome. So is Kyle Trask and so are Mac Jones. <laughs> to a high two and low three-star guy. So I would encourage everybody to just kind of look at like the players they are getting and not worry so much about where they're from. Gamecock's got Jordan Strachan. I think that's how you say it. Strachan, uh, who obviously was a two-star guy coming out of high school. Um, I don't know who – excuse my dog. I don't know who – rated him this or if he was undersized or what, but, you know, 6'4", 220, 10 and a half sacks this past year for GSU. Uh, Going to play a little outside backer for the Gamecocks or, or really wherever. Uh, Daryl Williams, who's coming in from Delaware, you watch his high school tape. It's great, uh, you know, as far as, you know, a physical linebacker goes. I'm sure they checked him out. Uh, he's sort of young in his career, and, and he's a guy, quite frankly, I think that if Delaware had more, you know, if he was playing in Atlanta, he'd have probably been, you know, a little more highly recruited probably in that, you know, ACC, maybe lower level SEC or lower tier SEC level. Um, just Delaware's just Delaware. You know, this David Spalding kid, uh, 6'2", 185 from Georgia Southern, uh, you know, just an upside guy. You know, I know he didn't play a whole lot last year, but an upside guy that you got to, you know, you got to have guys back there, and he's a taller corner. Um, and you see if Torian Gray can get some things out of him. 
Uh, and then Amari and Brown, obviously, he was Georgia Tech's best offensive player when um, he was a true freshman. And uh, a guy that brings much-needed speed to the table. I mean, he's, he's shy Smith at the very least. You know, so the four in the portal, and there's going to be more, um, are, I think are good pickups. You know, I, I think there's a nice mix of guys that are proven players that you know, can go up a level and play, like in Stracken, Stracken and Brown. Uh, and then some upside guys like Williams and Spalding that, that bring some needy things to the table. Are all these guys going to be superstars? No, no, not at all. But not everybody in a recruiting class is. Uh, the one high school guy they've gotten, Colby Fields from Med- Metairie, Louisiana, Archbishop Rummel. If I'm looking for a, a sleeper defensive player, I'm going to Louisiana to find him. <laughs> Number 28 player overall in Louisiana this cycle, uh, a guy that was committed to Oklahoma State and then Memphis. And, you know, I, I think a guy that could come in and, and help that linebacking core right away. Um, and, you know, so I, I think recruiting guys is going pretty well. It, it was going to be a different type of year um, in terms of game guys are going to be hitting the portal hard to fill some needs. You're going to want to keep your guys, you know, that you got there you know, for the most part, and Carolina hadn't, you know, you've had some attrition, but it hadn't completely fallen apart. Um, and you need some guys that can fill needs and, and compete and, and build competitive depth, uh, as uh, as everybody said. Uh, these two kids from St. Francis, PA. Uh, and, and I, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine today. I was actually talking to Keith Alsep, and I'll be on the lot on the Gamecocks podcast this afternoon as a guest of his. Uh, about, you know, who was recruiting Chancellor High School in Fredericksburg, Virginia for, oh, I don't know, Old Dominion or Virginia Tech or Towson State or Maryland or, heck, even like, uh, you know, a school around D.C. or whatever that plays football, Maryland Eastern Shore, Norfolk State, who, who whoever, for even Virginia, Virginia Tech, that missed this kid, E.J. Jenkins. He's 6'8". 235, and he's kind of a freak at receiver and tight end. Even if he's not quite 6'8", if he's 6'6 and a half, he's still a freak. Um, and and how he made it along with his quarterback, Jason Brown, who's a really good quarterback, 6'4", 230, good arm, record-setting All-American guy with NFL potential um, because of his size and arm. I mean, how, how do those guys make it to St. Francis, P.A.? Uh, you know, who, who was recruiting that high school that said, nah, we'll pass on the six, six guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe these guys are sort of late bloomers, but the Gamecocks are heavily involved with both. They sort of have to figure out some admissions things. Shocker, shocker. Uh, so maybe it'll be March, but, uh, I think the hope is they get both of these guys in, uh, and they add to a group of transfers that they're going to have to kind of blend in and, and get rolling. So we'll see what happens with that. And then there's some other names in the portal uh, to keep an eye on that we'll talk about down the road. Uh, Also staff wise, you know, like I said, O-line D-line is open right now. Uh, I think there's going to be some pretty exciting off the field hires that you guys are going to like coming up. So stay tuned for that period. All right. So mailbag questions, since I sort of took a long break here, I'm going to, if you sent a mailbag question from a while back and I didn't get to it, I apologize. 
I will I will come back and um, figure those out. So, all right. So it just kind of goes back to last week. So, all right. The eighth. And uh, so I'll read all these. Mailbag. Again, to get in the mailbag, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, or you can tweet at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, Tim says, JC, I like the OC hire in Marcus Satterfield. I like it because it's an out-of-the-box hire. I like a head coach that's willing to do something out of the norm if he thinks it's the best thing for the program. We've seen recycled coaches and other coaches and not gotten great results. Um Lance Thompson didn't even think we could win at South Carolina, and I wonder if Muschamp felt that way also. I don't think Muschamp did. I don't know that Lance did either. I think that Lance sort of got discouraged, you know, on the recruiting trail uh, for a while there. But he coached his butt off and really actually hit the, the, the outback bowl defensive line performance, I think was one of the – probably the best D-line performance they've had since – Brad Lawing left in a single game that, that, well, I'll say that game. And then the Georgia game in, in 2019, that Carolina won two best D line performances. Uh, Tim goes on to say, we need something new and fresh. Someone that believes in us as a program. We got that with Beamer. He could have hired an OC and like Jim Chaney. Yeah. That checks the boxes, but he'd just be another recycled SEC coach earning a paycheck and going through the motions until an OC opening comes up at another school. None of us knows if this hire will be a good one or a bad one, but I believe in our coach and I support him fully. Get behind him, Gamecock fans. Yeah, I agree with you there, Tim. I, as far as the out-of-the-box thing, I think, you know, sometimes when you're certain places, you, you need to go do something different. And I, and I think that, you know, th- that's kind of uh, it's kind of one of those things. Andy says, JC, thank you for your post on Big Spur calling out the negativity to zap constant overreactive fans uh tweet idiots tweet idiots are keyboard warriors that don't care or realize the damage they could do to coaches and recruits same level as the disrespect that goes on politically in this country just wanted to thank you for doing your part on a site that you own to control the harmful rhetoric and thereby protect the institution we dearly love yeah and look man i, I just I, i'm a big believer in fairness and and i i don't I think sometimes criticism's warranted. Uh, I'm, I'm not somebody, believe it or not, that you know sits there and says, "Well, you know, even though this is a terrible, terrible situation, that you know, and a terrible job done, that oh, well, you know, let's look at the bright side, guys." You know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, clicking my heels together. I do try to find silver linings and things, and I do believe that, that you know, fair is fair. And, and I think had this guy come into South Carolina, Marcus Satterfield, and in a year he was like had the 102nd-ranked offense in the country, um, and, and it wasn't because of players. You know, you, you can kind of tell when the play calling sucks. Uh, you know, it's predictable and all that. Then, yeah, I, I think it's just fine to be critical. But I think that repeating over and over again how bad of a hire it is before the guy has met with the media – before the guys even explain what he's going to do before he's coached a snap before he's contacted a single recruit. Uh, I think that gets really toxic and, and quite frankly, it's unfair. It's completely unfair. You know, there's nothing fair about it. 
Um, and so that's why, that's why I said what I said. And, you know, unfortunately that stuff did get in the hands of a couple of recruits, one in particular, and uh, we'll see kind of how it goes from here. But uh, I would hope people would realize that. Noah says, JC, what advantages does Marcus Satterfield coming from the NFL have? Uh, over other college coordinators that don't have NFL experience, keep up the quality work. Well, well, he was up there for a year. I think working under Joe Brady and learning a lot from him and Matt Rule, you know, at that level is a positive. I also think in the NFL these days, you know, for the last four or five years, if you really watch, and this is really the first time in my lifetime this has happened, because normally your college offenses are, are much more on the cutting edge than your pro offenses. But but if you look up there in the last five years, I would argue that there's been much more creativity and innovation in terms of execution of offenses and, and, and things like that at the NFL level than the college level. And for the first time um, in, uh, in my lifetime. So it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's uh, it's it's a situation where, you know, I think the more you're exposed to that kind of thing, the better you're going to be. Uh, now, is is his one year in the NFL a magical wand that's going to all of a sudden turn him into a you know the best coordinator ever? No, but uh, I do think when you kind of look at it, and you look at some of the trends too. I mean, like there are some teams, you know, LSU and Kentucky are hiring from the NFL as coordinators. I mean, it's a trend that I think you're going to continue to see happen as long as they're innovating up there uh, a little bit better than they are in college. And they quite frankly have been the last four or five years. So there you go with that on the Marcus Satterfield NFL thing. Keeping on Joseph Powell says, JC, hope you had an enjoyable vacation. A lot has happened since your last pod. I was a Bobo fan. I'm disappointed that he is gone. I am too. I mean, I, you know, not not to say that Marcus Satterfield can't be better. I, I outlined the reasons why this may be more comfortable for Beamer, and it may make the fans happier because it's it, it's going to be a different system. But you know, I thought Mike Bobo is, 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 is. I think he's a great play caller. I think he did the best he could this past year. Uh, he said was looking forward to see how his offense would look with some development in the receiver room. That being said, I'm excited about the presumptive new D.C. and bringing the 4-2-5 defense back. My opinion is there are a lot of tweeners, small linebackers, and big safeties in our recruiting footprint, and this system is a good fit for that. What are your thoughts on the hire of the OCDC? Any news on Bentley? I explained the OCDC hires. Haven't heard anything on Bobby Bentley. I know Jake Bentley's going to South Alabama for his final year. Um, I, I think the coordinator hires Beamer has made or are, are good and can could really end up being really good. We'll just have to see, but uh, on paper, in terms of what the plan is, the schemes, I think it makes sense. And you're absolutely right in South Carolina's footprint. And it's been kind of proven over the years, you can find spurs uh, and guys that, that they're those tweener guys, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's easier, it's easier said than done. Uh, in some ways, you know, because they, those guys do have to run and hit and all that. But, you know, just like R.J. Roderick, in my opinion, um, as we've seen him not progress at safety, and he hasn't, and that's unfortunate because I thought he had a big future. 
and let's say he comes back because I, I think he is supposed to come back. Um, uh, a spur is a great spot for him. Jamar Brown, uh, same way, same way. I mean, you, you've had these guys over the years. Willie Offord was a spur. Rashad Faison was a spur. Devontae Holloman was a spur. Antonio Allen was a spur. Um, you know, Dadarian Stewart played some spur. So you've got guys, uh, you know, a long history. Again, not all those guys were ranked four or five stars either. Most of them were like solid players that, you know, just fit the position and a good number of them played in the NFL. So, uh, you know, and I think the four-man front, when you start to think about the starters next year, uh, and, and you consider that, well, he, he, Jordan Birch on one side possibly and J.J. Enigbari on the other and Zach Pickens and then you needed another D tackle. Hopefully it's Rick Sandage. <laughs> we keep waiting for him to bust out or if not, it'll be Jabari Ellis. Uh, you know, you, you, you're starting to – I mean, you, you, you line those guys up. That's a, that's a four-star guy Georgia wanted in Enigbari who led the SEC in sacks. That's a five-star defensive end. It's a five-star defensive tackle next to him and a four-star defensive tackle next to him. For those of you that, that count the star ratings. Um, like I said, I don't know that that's always – I think those reset once you get to college. But you look at like the baseline, the ceiling, the baseline ability, you know, a four-man, a traditional four-man front works. That's not to mention that you still have – I think Aaron Sterling still coming back. So, as a situational pass rusher, you know, that guy's really good. I mean – You've got some options up there. The new D-line coach, the cupboard isn't going to be bare completely for the new D-line coach. They just need depth. Charles says, Ross, sorry, Ross. This comes in from Ross. JC, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I'd like to start by saying I'm a huge fan of your podcast. In a world of overreactions and baseless rumors, I feel like you give a fair and logical view of things. What's your latest feeling of the coaching staff under Beamer? I just saw the news flooding in about Bobo and friend departing for Auburn. Uh, I've already talked about this, but but I'm going to go ahead and read your, your, your question here just so if there's anything extra I need to address in here. Uh, he said, this was a bit concerning considering the lip service Bobo gave about wanting to be in Columbia. That And, and I'll stop right there. It's money. It's money, and Carolina didn't want to pay him that much money. Uh, and, and I don't know that Carolina felt like it was worth that much money, quite frankly. Uh, and, and again, you're talking about $6 million guaranteed versus $2.4. Um, you know, people kind of look at the eight hundred grand a year and they're like, oh, it's just eight hundred grand. But, you know, when, you, when you're talking about a three-year deal and the money, you're, you know, it's $6 million, it's, it's more than double. I have full faith in Coach Beamer, and I'm a huge fan of him being hired. I'm trying not to go into full panic. But I'm concerned that with the coaching carousel and full swings, that our option is to fill coaching vacancies get slimmer by the day. With Bobo and friend departing, who do you see as the likely target for their replacements? Uh, and then this came in on the 7th of January. So um, we know who uh, Bobo's replacement's in. Also, have you received any hints as to the remaining defensive vacancies? I saw that Derek Mason will be Auburn's DC. I know he was a front runner for us along with Bateman for a while. Kind of ticked that Auburn is poaching us in the middle of a coaching change. 
I'm just hoping that since you have encouraging news, it ends up being better for us in the long run. Thanks all you do, JC. Hope to get some new episodes soon. Ross, uh, and I'll say this, you know, Bateman to me would have been a great hire. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out. You know, Derek Mason, I think in a, in a different type of way, would have been a great hire. I'm very curious to see what Derek Mason could do on the recruiting trail uh, and at a place where he has talent. Like, he, he, you know, not hamstrung by admissions at Stanford or, or Vandy. Um, and, and with him, the contract I heard was a little weird. Like, maybe there was even some things in there where if you go to an SEC East school, that it's this, that, or the other. But, you know, he certainly landed at Auburn. And I, and I think Carolina got a really good D coordinator. I really do. Um. Uh, not that Derek Der- Mason would have been a heck of a hire, but uh, I think Carolina got a really good D coordinator. Um, and, you know, we'll see how he does at Auburn. But uh, when you sent this, I understand kind of the, the, the not the panic, but the, the worry that things, the optics aren't that good. But, you know, obviously here a week later, things are good. But I, I wanted to read your email, Charles, and or, sorry, Ross, and just uh, just work through that with you. But thank you for doing that. And please continue to send questions. There will be more episodes. Dr. Robert, I hope your vacation was a great one. In case you haven't heard, a few things happened in Gamecock land while you were gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I, uh, I I actually kept up with the whole thing. I wasn't, you know, wasn't like I was totally off the grid. I just wasn't, you know, you go on Big Spur and you post or something like that, and people are going to want to, you know, hash it out with you or you know, we've got seven or eight guys on there that everything I say, they're just going to bash it. And I, uh, I can deal with that when I'm not on vacation, but when I am, uh, I'm not, I'm not getting into it, but I, I was reading everything. Um, if we land Jason Brown, and EJ Jenkins, how would you compare the competition level that they played against in the NEC versus Juco level competition? I know the NEC very well growing up in the Northeast, and I feel the league and the athletes they have are far superior to most, if not all, JUCO conferences. I want to get your expert opinion. Thanks for all you do, and I appreciate your hard work and the podcast and on the Big Spur. Um, so here's the thing. I, I I think that if you just looked at it athletically, okay, like you line up uh, East Mississippi Junior College, one through 70, against St. Francis, one through 70. You know, probably as far as number of guys that can run and jump and and, and that are athletic, you're going to um, – hey, Urban Meyer just got hired to coach the Jaguars. Wow. Um, you're going to uh, probably see that East Mississippi has more athletes. That said, when you're talking about level of competition, those teams in the Northeast conference would beat the brakes off of just about any Juco. Um, Cause they're, they're, they're better football teams. They have better strength programs. They have better coaches. Um, they would beat the brakes off of them. So when I, when I think level of competition, it's not just, you know, are you out there competing against good athletes? It is, you know, when you, especially when you're a quarterback, are you able to diagnose the defenses? Are you able to run the routes against this kind of coverage if you're EJ Jenkins, that kind of thing? Uh, when you're looking at a transfer player, um, there's a reason why when you're looking at JUCO players, you're basically just kind of looking at one on ones. You're not really concerned about 
you know, games and, and stuff like that and how they go, you're looking at the tape. So uh, I, I would agree with you uh, to a certain extent. And, and I, I think that's why, you know, your Carolina is not going to be alone in, in dipping into FCS and grabbing guys. Uh, and hopefully it works out for the Gamecocks with the St. Francis, for St. Francis, St. Francis kids. Tim says, JC, hope you had a great vacation. Do you think all these retread coaches leaving the staff are a result of a lack of respect for Beamer or a lack of respect for his vision? Uh, I'm sure they're doing things totally opposite than what some of these older coaches are used to. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Tracy Rocker is probably looking for a softer landing spot. Cause I think, you know, his son's about to be one of the best top baseball picks in the country. And, you know, he's probably nearing the end of his career and co-coaching Auburn's deep tackles and going home to Auburn is, you know, probably a good way to wrap it up. I think Mike Bobo left because of money. I think Will Friend left because of Mike Bobo. I don't, I don't know that there's any kind of lack of respect for Beamer and his vision. Now, you know, you want to flip that around and say, well, you know, once Bobo got locked in with Carolina, was it, was it fair of him to continue to talk and negotiate with Auburn? I don't know. You know, again, you got to do what's best for your family. Uh, But certainly, you know, you could interpret that as having a lack of respect and I'm sure Shane Beamer does as well. And I think, I think Beamer was justified for handling it like he handled it and, I'm never going to fault Mike Bobo for going and making money. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, so that's the thing there, you know, some of the older coaches or whatever. He says, like you, I hate to bring up Clemson, but we all laughed at Dabo in those early years, but he had a vision that was unique to Clemson. Ding, ding, ding. Now, I don't want to imagine – I don't want to and imagine we'll not see Beamer act like Dabo and see say nonsense to reporters at time, but I do think he will be very similar in being unique. That's that's why the Beamer hire to me was a chance for South Carolina to get a guy that's a South Carolina guy. You know, it's it's you know this is his deal. You know, and he says you can already see it with the welcome home saying, yeah, welcome home. You know, and, and it is home. I mean, look, South Carolina football is not just about competing in the SEC. It's not just about Steve Spurrier and all the great players he had. Uh, You know, it's not just about 2001 or Stan Storm. You know, South Carolina football is about family. You know, people from all across the Palmetto State, their whole lives, generations, get in their car on Saturdays. They drive up I-26, down I-26, cross I-20, down 77, maybe take the back roads uh, and they go to Williams Bryce and they, they spend time with their family and they put the flags on their car and they grill or they buy some chicken and they set up the tent and there's generations of people out there. Uh, and so in a lot of ways it is home, you know, it is. And, and so, you know, to have somebody that embraces that, uh, is a breath of fresh air because I, I do think one of the criticisms of Muschamp that's valid is that he never really connected with the fans. And uh, part of that was because he wasn't a very popular hire. But, you know, there were some things he didn't, you know, he he didn't 
necessarily do it. And, and it wasn't about even being nice because as far as like a, a guy that, you know, would do things like, you know, reach out to sick people and, you know, be thoughtful and polite and nice in public to folks. He was better than Holtz and Spurrier at that, as far as just being personable and approachable. But I think, I think it was kind of the way the program got run. You know, it was more like, all right. So this is, you know, the one voice policy, some things like that didn't, didn't do a good job of endearing himself to fans and come to find out, you know, there was a lot more behind the scenes that wasn't as hunky dory as, as maybe people thought. And that was sad, but yeah, Welcome home was a great thing Shane Beamer's doing. And, and that that's what I think everyone has to realize uh, about Gamecock football and the fact that, you know, it, it is kind of a bad time right now, wins on the field, but ultimately it's about family. Uh, and, and it's about the generations of people that have, that have come and supported this team, the good times and the bad times. Uh, and it's about making memories with your family, you know, right there in the parking lot in the, condos at home having a tail watch party i'm sure you had much more many more watch parties this year with family than in the past but that that's what that's what gamecock football is about and so i I like the welcome home thing and i think shane beamer absolutely gets that thank you tim jason says jc i've missed the podcast hope all as well could you see where any of the coaches leaving the way they are is because of how they feel that muschamp was let go Seems like there is a tight brotherhood of old SEC guys. The second part's correct. I, I don't – I mean, none of these guys, all of them, every single one of them wanted to stay. I mean, so it wasn't like, you know – I mean, I, I know T-Rob and uh, Krantz left sort of quickly, but uh, yeah, the rest of them wanted to stay. So I, I don't I don't think that's the case with, with Muschamp. I – I think everybody sort of knew it. And I don't, I don't, you know, Muschamp maybe thought he deserved a second year or maybe thought, you know, this is a, a layup year because of COVID or whatever. But, you know, I, yeah, I don't know, you know. Uh, but I don't think it's because of Muschamp. I think Bobo was because of money. Friend was because of Bobo. Rocker was because of the job description at Auburn. I hope not, but uh, the way some of this is going down makes me think there could be. That was Jason saying that. Anyway, I think in the end it's going to be a good thing. Yeah, most people I've talked to think it's going to be a positive. You know, Carolina's tried big-name guys that are proven, but they are proven at the bigger-name schools. I like getting the young, hungry guys that needs to prove himself. Yeah, and everybody talked about Clemson. How many times has Clemson, uh, you know (laughs) – so Clemson had an offensive coordinator opening promoted from within, you know, Jeff Scott, their co-coordinator leaves and uh, goes, uh, you know, they promote from within. I mean, it's, you know, you look at their staff. I mean, and there's something to be said about that up there. Uh, and so we'll see kind of how all of it goes. That's the mailbag for today. I'm shocked. I got through it inside the game. at gmail.com. So uh, keep those rolling in. And that's all the time here. Don't forget, I'll be on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with Keith this afternoon for those of you that are patrons. We'll be back later this week, Friday, I guess, uh, and then have a full collection of Inside the Gamecocks podcast 
from here forward as there is a lot to get to. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Please continue to subscribe. Rate us five stars on the Apple Store. Appreciate all of you guys tuning in. Inside the Game Guys podcast. Holla at you soon.